0: Ronaldo, vai partir para a bola, Ronaldo! Ronaldo vai partir! Paradinha, até o gol! Já está! Já está! Já está! Gol!
1: Portugal! Welcome to the Portugal Podcast number 90. Uh, Apologies for our absence in recent weeks, but we're back and today we have a two-part pod. Uh, in part two, we'll be summing up the situation of the national team since Fernando Santos became the new Portugal coach with Selesau expert Nathan Motts and we'll also be hearing from Portugal midfielder Thiago and goalkeeper Beto. But first of all, we're going to briefly look at the main issues in Portuguese club football. And, of course, nobody better to do that with than Portuguese football journalist and coach Vasco Mota Pereira. Hi Vasco, how are you?
2: Hi Tom, I'm I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me once again.
1: Okay, no problem, thank you for coming on as usual. Okay, Vasco, first uh, topic of discussion. Three words, Benfica, Champions League. Uh, The Eagles, they crashed out of the competition before Christmas, yet again. Uh, This time, they got knocked out of Europe altogether. No Europa League run this season. Uh, some have even suggested It's a deliberate strategy strategy, uh, At least this season To help Jorge Jesus' men Win the league uh, If they did that It would be the first back-to-back championships For three decades uh, Vasco, could that possibly be true? Uh, what do you think is behind Benfica's abject failure in Europe this season?
2: Uh, well well. To be honest, I don't believe uh, for a second uh, that to be true. But um, I, I'm admittedly naive regarding some some of the football-related stuff. Uh, I think there's just um, too much pride from players, directors, and then the the coach himself at stake uh, to allow Europe to vanish in, in such um, careless fashion. Uh, besides, the ever-important issue of money and prestige. Uh, I've actually been meaning to write a, a text about Benfica's trouble in the Champions League, but I still haven't found the proper way to frame it, because I don't think it's a black-and-white issue, uh, in my view. I've praised Jorge uh, Jesus quite often during these podcasts over the past few years, but I admit I'm a bit um, more than puzzled, not, not by the elimination itself, but by Jesus', I would say, hubris in, in being unwilling to make any sort of compromise after several years of... of, of of underachievement in Europe, uh, that have shown that his approach, while it is quite effective in Portugal, simply doesn't work in Europe. I mean, in the Champions League. I mean, uh, at what point does a team's uh, identity become a problem to itself, and uh, at what point do things go past perseverance and become just pure stubbornness? And I think Jesus' Cavalier attitude in Europe may have pleased the fans at some point, because it hints at Benfica's greatness both domestically and abroad. But it, it has yielded so many shots in their own foot that it has become problematic, to say the least, or the line absurd. I, I don't think Benfica's elimination uh, this season is any different from the previous ones. I think there's just fewer great players, like Matic, Rodrigo, Cardoso, for instance, or Garay. I think that's that's the only difference. The underlying principle is exactly the same the The inability or or the unwillingness if you will um, to adapt the team's strategy to a very, very different environment
1: yeah, yeah, do you think maybe it's a little bit of a problem? the fact that for uh, most of Benfica 's matches domestically or certainly a, a, a large proportion of them. Uh, they can just uh, like you say adopt this cavalier attitude and just sweep past opponents and maybe leave themselves a bit exposed but it just doesn't matter and uh, do you think that that, uh, I don't know maybe George Jesus is uh, convinced that uh, that can work in Europe but evidently it doesn't
2: I I think that's uh, you're right on the money because that's the problem for Portuguese teams as as for instance for for Shakhtar the or for Russian teams there are teams like Zenit they are so used to week in week out uh, to playing uh, the, the the stronger stronger side of matches that they sometimes get to the Champions League and it's very hard for them to realize or to accept that they have to be a little less proactive or a little more reactive and suddenly and I understand the problem as as a coach because you spend most of your preseason for instance uh, working in a specific. Set of players in a specific system, everything. And suddenly you get to six games, uh, between September and December when you're trying to tell your lads, listen, we have to be a little more patient, a little less, less proactive. And I think that's uh, a shock of uh, an identity shock, which is not always easy to, to, to manage, but still just insisting season after season after season that, uh, you can play the same way domestically and in Europe. It makes little sense to me because there, there doesn't seem to be any sort of tweaks from George Azul, Uh to to because I think the main task of a coach is to uh, maximize your team's strengths and, and try to hide your team's vulnerabilities and I don't think Jesus is doing that.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, fascinating stuff as usual. Okay, while we're talking about the Champions League. Uh, It's not all doom and gloom for Portuguese clubs Far from it, of course Because Porto have been mighty impressive uh, Clinching top spot with a game to spare Uh, Vasco, when you look at that squad uh, With the likes of uh, Brahimi uh, Who just picked up the award for the BBC African Player of the Year uh, A couple of days ago uh, Jackson Martinez uh, Telio, Herrera Oliver Torres uh, Even the young Portuguese midfielder Ruben Neves And of course the fantastic fullback pairing of, uh, the Brazilians, Alexandro and Danilo. Uh, that team is really starting to look, uh, packed with, uh, some pretty impressive individuals and, uh, they seem to be putting it together as a team, uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, provided they remain injury free, uh, do you think the Dragons have a chance of making a deep run in a Champions League? Uh, it looks like surely they, that they have, haven't they, Pascal? Yeah.
2: I think that, based on, on, on individual quality alone, I think Porto could cause the, the odd surprise here and there. But I'm still uh, maintaining that collectively FC yes, Porto are a bit too one-dimensional, too predictable. There are still a lot of mistakes being made in the initial stages of build of play uh, and abhorring indifference towards the central areas of the pitch the pitch and uh, and an over-reliance on, on on one-on-one situations down the wing with very little protection when the ball goes astray and I think that's the sort of behavior that can punish uh, any given team in the Champions League because other sides uh, are becoming more and more impressive with their gegenpressing pressing as they say it in Germany. Uh, I still think fc portuget to get uh, cards open far too easily down the middle and that their uh, offensive plan relies heavily on the winger's inspiration or Jackson, Martinti- Jackson Martinez's ability to to get something out of a random situation. Uh, but um, I, I'm I'm still not convinced by it. I, I have to be <laughs> I have to be honest. But I hey, I might be just the messenger of, of doom and gloom, like you were saying. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> OK, well, one to watch. I think uh, there definitely is room for improvement but uh, also when you have a look at that squad, perhaps there is capacity for improvement. Yeah, so, so
2: yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah.
1: OK, uh, so let's move on to the domestic scene now and uh, Victoria Gimarrange in many ways, uh, perhaps the story of the season. They continue to hold on, uh, hold firm in second place in the league Uh, They've got a fantastic record of a 1-8, drawn two, lost just one (coughs) in their 11 Primera Liga matches so far. Now, uh, this weekend, they're going to travel to near neighbors Braga, who have also found form uh, recently, and that's going to be some Mino Derby, always a very (laughs) passionate fixture. Uh, Braga, they beat Vittoria a couple of weeks ago in the Cup. And uh, and last week they smashed six past Penifial So they really are beginning to hit form uh, Vasco, if Vittorio uh, Gimarrange managed to get the three points From the quarry on Sunday uh, Can we start to believe that they can mount a tilt at the title? I know it always seems uh, unlikely when you look at any team outside the big three doing so But when we look back recently, of course Braga did it a few years ago and uh, very nearly won the league. And uh, do you think Victoria could do something similar this year?
2: Uh, if I'm brutally honest, I think Guimarães well, well a very well organized team uh, lacks some quality as far as their uh, attacking is concerned. It's at times a rather rudimentary approach. One which has certainly worked well, mind you, but I believe something more is needed to mount a, a reasonably serious, uh, go at the top spot. Particularly because, like, like it happened with Braga, the other teams will tend to withdraw against the if they keep pounding their opponents. Uh, but, uh, it would certainly be great to see a so-called, uh, smaller team giving the three big ones some headaches, uh, and maybe it could inspire other teams into believing that some proper planning and organization might, may go a long way so as much as I would wish it to happen uh, I'm not expecting the Manage to go the long way
1: yeah. okay. uh, I have to agree with you 100% there I think uh, they've scored a lot of their goals uh, from set pieces um, mm-hmm. very good centre back partnership uh, yeah. Joao Alfonso who came from the lower leagues has really proved to be quite a find which also shows the fantastic organisation and the work uh, Rui Vittoria is doing on a training pitch. But I agree with you, they seem to have some difficulty in uh, scoring from open play. So, uh, Vasco, finally, uh, quick fire round. OK, I'm going to go through the big three and I want you to tell me if they could make one acquisition in this January transfer window, what position should it be at and why? Okay, so sporting.
2: (laughs) Um, Sporting is easy, I think. Uh, I've been ramming on it about about it for a while. Um, Buy yourselves a decent centre back, for heaven's sake. Um, It's it's (laughs) (laughs) it's painful to see um, such good work going to waste so often because their centre backs know very little about the game they're playing. Uh, And I mean, being and looking mean hasn't been enough to be a centre back since Gary Pallister, for God's sake. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah ok uh, how about Porto
2: as for Porto it's hard to tell because like, like you were saying their squad is, is um, rimming with individual potential wherever you look um, I think like sporting they could benefit from a centre back to take Mike Connor Marcano's place for instance um, but I for one think a good midfielder might just be what the doctor ordered Someone who's able to 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 dictate the tempo to calm the game down when they're winning to distribute the ball in, in less predictable fashion, but if if I think again about it uh that play might end up being redundant because based on everything Julian Lopez has shown us so far, he's not the least interested in such a player, so um maybe that's just me okay. And
1: uh, finally, uh, Benfica uh, what, They're actually top of the league at the moment But uh, haven't looked uh, perhaps quite as impressive as they have done in recent seasons <coughs> Who do they need? Uh, if they could have one player to really strengthen the squad uh, Who would it be and, and why?
2: I would go with the option of the typical um, cafe uh, client And say Benfica need a striker <laughs> <laughs> uh, A proper one uh, to either rotate with Lima or to allow him to play off the main striker, which is where I still believe he can play his best football. If not, there's always the possibility of, of George's, with his favorite acquisition, a left back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well that's interesting. Yeah, of course. Uh, one or two rumors, one or two whispers that, uh, maybe Rafael Guerrero could be on the radar. Uh, mm-hmm. he would seem to fit the bill. Uh, yeah. Okay, uh, well that's excellent as usual uh, Vasco. Time has beaten us for now. Uh, that's your lot for part one. Uh, thank you Vasco for your expert insight.
2: No, Thanks for having me, Tom. Always a pleasure.
1: Okay, and uh, we'll speak again soon. Uh, as for the podcast, part two coming up right after this. Shasta! Shasta! Welcome back to part two of the Portugal podcast number 90. We're dedicating this part of the show to the national team. And that means it's time to call up Portugal journalist and Celisau expert
0: Nathan Motz, who joins me now. Hi there, Nathan. How are you? Hey, how's it going, Tom? Glad to be back talking about the Celisau again, as always.
1: Yeah, good stuff. And we're uh, very glad to have you on, as usual. Okay, it's been an interesting few months for Portugal's national team Uh, Paulo Bento was sacked, Fernando Santos was appointed Uh, He shook things up considerably, results have improved But not necessarily the performances Uh, Nathan wrote an excellent article article recently about the new regime Which you can read at www.portugal.net Uh, where he gives his appraisal of the Santos era so far and that's precisely what we're going to talk about right now Okay, Nathan, we're going to talk about this in a bit more depth presently but to kick off with, I'll ask you for a brief answer Uh, in your opinion, are Portugal in better shape now under Santos, than they were say one year ago under Bento?
0: Well let's see, Uh, looking back a year so we would have been right um, just after, I guess, the point where we had defeated Sweden in that two-legged playoff to get into the World Cup, um, and at that point, um, I think everyone was kind of on a high, you know, expecting great things out of the World Cup. And of course, we know how that turned out with uh, a very poor uh, performance from the from the squad over the course of the three group stage games and the group stage exit. Um, so, and the, the main thing that that um, gives me hope. In terms, or gives me the confidence to say that we're in a better place now um, is the defensive record over the last uh, three games, especially, and, and of course the results themselves. You know, looking at the group stage of the World Cup, where we gave up, I think it was something like seven goals in three games. Uh, in the last three games, we haven't allowed a single goal. Um, and uh, even though some of the uh, offensive uh, capacity seems to be lacking a little bit, like I discussed in the uh, in my analysis, I really think the results are the the key. Measure that we have to use to grade this squad. And I think Santos has brought some solidarity to the squad. That really makes me feel like we're in a better position, certainly than we were a year ago, in spite of the fact that we had just beaten a very good Sweden team and all that. So um, looking at what Santos is trying to do um, and just kind of get some composure back in the squad as we um, proceed with Euro 2016 qualifying, I think he's doing that, and I think we're in a pretty good condition at the moment.
1: OK, yes, well now let's have a look at that in a bit more detail and I suppose the most striking aspect of the Fernando Santos reign so far has been his penchant for calling up senior players uh, many of whom probably thought their international careers were over uh, I'm talking about Ricardo Carvalho, Tiago, Dani and Jose Bozingua for example who have all been brought back into the fold uh, Atletico Madrid midfielder Thiago uh, told me of his joy at being back with the Seleção after the recent Portugal-Armenia match
2: I'm very happy um, after uh, almost four years without playing with the national team so I'm very happy to be here uh, with, my, uh, with my friends that I, I played before so I'm very happy we, had a, we have an excellent group and uh, it's to be in the European
1: so Nathan, is Fernando Santos right to have called up the old guard? Uh, do you think maybe he's gone a little bit too far? After all, one of the constant criticisms aimed at Paulo Bento was
0: his reluctance to bring new blood into the Seleção. Well, in my article, uh, as I as I mentioned, I think that the goal of bringing in the old guard was to to provide kind of that that solidarity that that. Um, that resolve, maybe some more experienced um, uh, feel to the squad that that would take us from where we were, having been beaten at home by Albania, um, and trying to get us back into a place psychologically where we could compete and, and get our qualification campaign back on track. I think some of the older players have been very useful in that regard. Um, uh, it is my opinion, though, that at some point it's inevitable we will have to find uh, younger players to replace. Um, some of these these veterans who at some point will just be unable to keep up with the pace of the game. Um, looking forward to 2016, where we know we're going to have to play um, a fairly young France team at home. Uh, potentially, uh, you know, obviously the Germans are very strong. The Italians uh, have a fairly young squad. So we're looking at some of the teams that we're going to be up against, some of the best teams in the world, um, we're going to have to not only have experience, and not only have um, just that psychological composure that those veterans bring, but we also need the youth and the fitness that the young guys bring, so um, there is going to have to be a point um, over the next year, I feel, where Santos is going to have to look for more opportunities to integrate these younger players into the squad, similar to what he's done with um, the full fullback Rafael Guerrero.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well that's, that's interesting you say that actually, Nathan, because I was looking at the the table actually just yesterday because uh, of course we had the news that UEFA have rejected the appeal from Albania and Serbia to dock them points for their for their game which was abandoned because of the drone incident. Uh, all of that means that uh, you know this qualifying process, which was uh, fairly easy, let's uh, you know let's not uh, beat about the bush, which is fairly easy. Qualifying process from the outset uh, has probably been made even more e- well. has definitely been made even easier with those uh, lost points from Portugal's opponents. And so, in my opinion, uh, Portugal play Serbia at home next. And if they win that, I think they probably only need one more win from their last four games of the qualifying period to of the qualifying uh, campaign to, uh, to, to to book their place at Euro 2016 perhaps that is a good time to uh, start a bit more experimenting, do you think?
0: Yeah, I agree totally. I mean, I think, uh, like I said, I think Santos's uh, approach is very pragmatic. I think he realized that the, the most important thing um, right from the, the start was to gain some results. So I think he brought in the kind of players that he knew would be um, useful in that regard. Um, and so the short-term benefit is clear. We've, we've played three matches. We've, um, or the last three matches, rather, we've, we've played uh, each of them and won 1-0. Uh, defense is strong and we're getting the results. Um, as these results continue, like you're saying, I think we are going to get into a place where we can afford to kind of gamble a little bit more. So, um, you know, I, I really think that Santos is playing this pretty well so far. Um, but, you know, given the fact that it's only been four matches and we just have to see where he's got, how he's going to transition out of this phase where he's more, um, interested in, uh, in pragmatism and maybe into a phase where he can uh, perform some more experimentation, if that makes sense with the yep. squad.
1: Yeah, okay, it makes perfect sense. And of course, Eric experimentation will involve bringing in more of the young players. And, uh, to be fair, Santos has brought in some young players so far. Uh, the sporting trio of William Carvalho, Cedric and João Mario, they've all seen play in time for the Celestão uh, under Santos. Uh, as well as, of course, Valencia midfielder Andre Gomez, uh, the former Benfica man who's doing so well in La Liga. Uh, however, the real star of the, of the young guns has been uh, left-back Rafael Guerreiro. Uh, Nathan just mentioned him a while ago. Of course, he plays for a uh, little-known French team, Lorient, but uh, he followed up an excellent debut in uh, against Armenia. In the Algarve with a stunning winning goal in a friendly against Argentina really couldn't have gone better for him his start to life uh, as a Sound player and uh, he certainly impressed some of his teammates this is what goalkeeper Beto had to say about his new international teammate
2: I've seen a couple of games of him in France and I, I think he's a very very good player he's, he's, going, he's going to grow up uh, mm-hmm. more here But uh, he made a very, very, very good game uh, with very confidence uh, and a good rhythm, intensity. So I just enjoyed to see him play.
1: So, Nathan, uh, Santos has been at pains to stress that he is bringing in new blood. Uh, Is he doing it fast enough, in
0: your opinion? Well, I think, um, honestly, I don't don't think uh, a smart manager... Makes the decision about whether to integrate new players based solely on how how quickly he wants to bring in uh, new talent. I think you have to analyze the state of the players that are available to him. And honestly, I've I've looked at some of the younger players at their their club side. Some of the players that that many Cela fans are are arguing should already be in the squad. And I've I've noticed kind of some disturbing trends with some of them with the exception of uh, Rafael Guerrero who's playing very well for Orient, uh scoring goals almost every week um but looking, looking like say at uh, Galatasaray uh, where Bruma's playing or rather I should say not playing uh, his form has been rather poor for his club and so that that's not going to inspire confidence in a manager to select him also Marcus Lopez playing in France um hasn't seen much of the pitch for Lille um and there's, uh, there's, there's other players who right now at this phase of the season are, are struggling to have an impact even at club level. So I think, uh, Santos is going to base uh, his decision to integrate those players obviously, uh, a lot on, on club form. The, the one player that I would say I really would like to see more of, uh, as another midfield option is Bruno Fernandes, um, from Udineza. I think he has shown a little bit more consistency. Um, and some of the other young options, and I think that he would be a good option. Um, staying in the midfield, you know, people have talked a lot about Bernardo Silva from Monaco, but um, after a pretty good start to the season, he also has, has not seen as much playing time um, in, uh, in recent weeks, and that could be due to injuries um, or squad selections. But either way, Santos has to take into account the players who are in match form, um, and who are not only you know obviously seeing the pitch but who are actually playing well and, and showing the coach something that makes them think that they could add something to the sell Sal, uh, because you and I were, were talking a few weeks ago about how difficult it is to make that transition from the youth level or the under-21 level to, to the senior level, and that requires, among other things, uh, building that confidence to perform at the highest level at your club, and so I think that's what Santos is waiting on for some of these young guys.
1: Yeah, well I'm glad you mentioned uh, Bruno Fernandes there because he's, he's one who's kind of slightly slipped under the, the radar for Portugal I don't think he's even hardly played for the under-21 side but like you said, he's a, he's a regular for Udinese uh, just yesterday actually, he scored a fantastic goal which uh, that's going around the YouTube uh, I uh, suggest you uh, listeners to look that up so uh, and he seems to be already at, uh, like Nathan said, at, at a good level in that he's playing regularly for uh, you know a top-level Italian side. So uh, it might be interesting to see if Santos does bring him into into the Cellarsal setup in the next uh, n- the next few squads. Okay, well we can't talk about the Cellarsal, of course, without talking about Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, Nathan you finished your uh, analysis which uh, as I mentioned at the start of our chat uh, I really do urge you to go and read that at www.portugal.net you uh, finished your analysis talking about the Portugal captain with what I thought was a very pertinent observation and potentially a big problem for Portugal (laughs) of course the phenomenon that is Cristiano Ronaldo is uh, increasingly seen as a not only one of the world's greatest players but maybe even one of the true all-time greats he just seems to be getting better and better and there's no dimming of his amb- uh, ambition and unlike earlier in his career where he was perhaps a little disappointing for uh, the Seleção compared to his form for his club sides uh, over the last few years there really has been very little difference, he has been outstanding for Portugal so the problem this brings is that it appears to have made his teammates become a little bit in awe of him. Uh, they always seem to look to pass to him, uh, or worse still, uh, just leave it to the to the Real Madrid man to, to solve the problem when things get going tough. I thought, I, I think this was really noticeable at the World Cup. I I noticed in the game against Germany, it seemed like most of the uh, objectives of the other Portugal midfielders and even forwards was uh, get the ball and pass it to Ronaldo rather than uh, trying and uh, you know looking at their own game. So Nathan, if you were in Fernando Santos's shoes, uh, what would you say to the Portugal players, and what do they have to do to make sure that Ronaldo's presence doesn't have a negative effect on their own form?
0: Well, one thing I think it's important to uh, to discuss is when you have a player. Uh, who is as talented as Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously you, you would want to build the squad around him. And I think that's something I, that I really hope Santos doesn't get away from. I think Palo Bento did that really well by putting players on the pitch that could help Cristiano Ronaldo perform even, uh, better to his, to his strengths. You know, looking at Ronaldo's goal scoring record, um, from the time of Carlos Carlos to, uh, to Palo Bento and there's no comparison. And I really hope that Santos Will also um, follow that guideline of of setting up the team to uh, play to run all those strengths, but I think really what he needs to uh, give the other players is just the confidence to take the individual responsibility of of not um, not feeling like they don't have something to offer the team as well. Um, I've heard before that the difference between you know top level professional. Players and world-class players is, is simply confidence. Um, you have to remember all these guys have been playing football since they were little kids um, in the streets with their friends. They've come, uh, many from the same clubs, like, for instance, Nani and Choresma coming from the same academy as Ronaldo. But the, the difference, the, um, the level, or the rather the gap that exists between Ronaldo and some other players in part is, is confidence. And we can see that with Ronaldo when he comes on the field um, he plays knowing that he is the most talented player on that pitch. And, you know, he talks about it in, uh, in interviews and that causes, you know, people to accuse him of being, of being arrogant. But I think that is a key component to his success is that he is aware of his capability as a player to devastate opponents, to, to take the ball, um, and do things with it that other players can't do to, you know, to cause fear and opposing defenses such that, uh, you know, he can really um, create openings for his teammates. And I think with, with, uh, with a player like Ronaldo on the pitch, you would want, uh, a team around him that, that has a perspective of looking for ways to take advantage of the fact that defenses are focusing so much on Ronaldo. Um, and I think that is, that's a question of, uh, really it's a matter of confidence in their own abilities. I think that may be holding them back, um, as their club form improves, you know, looking especially at guys like Nani who, who had probably a pretty, pretty difficult year last year, um, and now he's moving into a, a spell in his career where he's doing better again with sporting. I think that's only going to help him have that confidence, too, instead of maybe looking for the, the first uh, pass to Ronaldo to maybe have that shot. Um, guys like you know Danny and Quaresma and uh, even Dromotino and some of our midfield players um, also need to, to take confidence from their own club form and bring it into the squad and just be aware that Ronaldo is going to give them opening just his presence on the field alone will attract so much attention from the defense that it should be um helping them to uh to find openings themselves and so that's hopefully the perspective that santos can um instill in the squad
1: yeah okay i agree with that 100 uh, percent quite a, a bit of a psychological work i think maybe to do there from uh, fernando santos and his team Okay, well, Nathan, uh, thank you for
0: your fascinating views, as ever. Oh, you're welcome, Tom. Always a pleasure talking about uh, Portugal, and uh, hopefully we'll have some uh, uh, something to cheer about next, I guess it's March, when uh, yeah. the team takes uh, Serbia.
1: Exactly, yeah. We'll definitely be talking then, uh, if not before. Uh, plenty to chew over and look forward to uh, when the Euro 2016 campaign resumes uh, in March like uh, Nathan just said Uh, Okay, nothing more for us to say now apart from thank you listeners uh, for sticking with us and a reminder that for all your your Portuguese football needs go to www.portugal.net that's P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L dot net We'll be back with a new pod very soon. Até logo!